Seven up float, you know what this is? Exhale float. Okay, so the Lord, for some reason, did this <coughs> amazing miracle through Elisha, and he made an iron exhale float. And so this poor guy who borrowed the exhale was able to recover it, chop down tree, build the Bible school, and then return the exhale. So what just happened? What just happened was that God cared for a man who lost a borrowed axe head. It's spelled like that in some versions, okay? No E. You read that in chapter 6 from verse to seven, uh, verses 1 to 7. The second story continues in chapter 6, and it's about the king of Syria, also known as Aram, A-R-A-M, planning to attack Israel. And time and again, <coughs> Elisha the prophet provided critical intelligence to the king of Israel. <coughs> Elisha had words of knowledge from God about the Syrian, about the enemy troop, troop movements and the enemy dispositions. So much so that king, the king of Syria, one of his men, told the king in verse 12 of chapter 6, he says, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So the words that the king of Syria talks about in the bedroom, Elisha is able to know and, uh, and tell the king of, 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 uh, of Israel. It's kind of like Trump saying that Obama wiretapped the Trump Tower. It's like what I say in my bedroom, Obama knows. And, and as a result of that, the king of Syria sent a strong force of men and horses and chariots to capture Elisha the spy. And we read in verse 15 of chapter 6, when the servant of the man of God, when the servant of Elisha, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And this is Elisha's reply in verse 16. Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And then Elisha prayed, God, would you strike the enemy Syrians with blindness? And, and somehow the, the Syrian army was redirected from attacking Elisha into a place called Samaria. And when Elisha directed them to Samaria, they just blindly followed Elisha's directions and Elisha was safe. And so it was that we have God spying for Israel. God was Israel's director of central intelligence. He was Israel's eyes. And he opened the eyes of Elisha's servant so that the servant could see that we are more than we. We have God with us. And the story continues from verse 21. And then when the king of Israel saw the confused state of the Syrian soldiers in Samaria, he said, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? 
it's, you can almost hear the glee in the voice of the king of, uh, of Israel. And Elisha answered this way in verse 22. Elisha answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So we have God who had mercy on the enemy Syrian soldiers. That's the third story. Now the fourth and the last story, which continues from 6 uh, verse 24 all the way to the end of chapter 7. Sometime later, this king of Syria laid siege to Samaria. And because there was a siege, there was no food that was able to enter the city, and so there was famine in the city. And it lasted so long and the food was so bad, and the hyperinflation was so bad, kind of like in the days of the Japanese uh, occupation, right? They have these banana notes, uh, which wasn't worth very much. And the Bible records for us at the, that the donkey's head, the head of a donkey, which is not really the thing you want to eat, okay? And it, it, the donkey is an unclean animal in the ceremonial laws of Israel of those days. You do not eat donkeys. But even uh, something that you do not eat, and the head part of it was worth 80 shekels of silver, which is about one kilogram of silver. In today's prices, it'll be 563 US dollars for the head. Okay, you're not even talking about meat, proper meat of the donkey. And there was that hyperinflation. Now, there's a very curious uh, other uh, uh, benchmark price here. Uh, and it says, a cup of dove's dung. Okay, bird shit. <laughs> okay, a cup of dove's dung was sold for five pieces of silver. So, 55 grams of bird shit would cost 35 US dollars. Okay, I need to do more research into this. I just didn't have enough time to, to figure out what this really uh, is. Maybe it's kopi luwak. Okay, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the coffee beans that this civet cat eats and then it comes out and then it's like, wow, very expensive. Maybe it's that bird shit, I don't know. And in that time, the king of Israel was walking around the city walls and he heard a woman down below telling him a tragic tale. There was cannibalism in Israel. You see, they had no food to eat, so she struck up this deal with another woman. She said, I will sacrifice my son to be eaten by all of us today. And they did so. Then the next day, the agreement was that the other woman would then give up her son so that they would eat the son. But she did not do it. She chickened out. And when the king heard this, he blamed Elisha. I don't know. There was no connection with Elisha whatsoever, the way, what I could read in the Bible, but he blamed Elisha. And then when Elisha heard about it, he prophesied that there would be economic deflation. The hyperinflation would stop. But how did this happen? When the Aramean, the Syrian soldiers that were surrounding the city of uh, Samaria, they were, themselves were, 
were thrown into confusion and then they deserted their post, they just ran away. They thought they were being attacked and then there were these four men who had leprosy, okay, the most down and out in the society of those days, these four Israelites who had leprosy, they were thinking, if I stay in the city, I will die of starvation because there's famine. If I get out to the enemy camp, they will kill me. Or maybe they won't. So they decided either way they will die. So they left the city, they went into the, the Syrian enemy camp, and they found it was deserted. So they ate to their heart's content. And they proved to be worthy men. Because in chapter 7, verse 9, these men said, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. And that's after they've eaten. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And so they went and told the king of Israel, who at first didn't believe, but later on found that it was true. And the hyperinflation stopped and the siege was over, and Israel survived. So God stopped a siege and a famine. Now, these stories happened in the time of Elisha about 2,800 years ago. They're like fairy tales, right? You think that they're believable? Do you believe in it? How would you feel if you lost an axe head that you borrowed do you think that God would care about something so small, so mundane? You know, I'm sure that all of us, or many of us, I hope, will have stories of how we miraculously recovered something we have lost. Okay, I see many nodding heads. Okay, our pastor Sharon will tell you, she was in Croatia a few months ago, that she lost her passport. It was actually uh, pilfered. Somebody uh, stole it from her. And then she just walked into... Uh, the nearest police station and when she reported the passport was lost, the policeman went into the back of the room, took it out and gave it back to her. It's like, how can this be? Uh, my sister will tell you that she was, uh, she dropped a, a mobile phone. I think the husband dropped the mobile phone. They are still quarreling about it. Uh, and then how do you find a mobile phone in, in the, the, the snow and, and the ski slope? So after a while, it's like, oh, cannot tahan, try again. So kick, 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 kick. And then they, they found it amidst the, the sea of white. My own personal story is a long time ago, 1977, when I used to ride a motorbike. Um, and I'm like the first one out of safety camp, okay? The, the army camp on our uh, national service. First one out, last one in, because I had a motorbike. But one night, I remember, I think I hit something or something, and then I bent over uh, and checked everything was all right. I went to my girlfriend's house, Prince Philip Avenue. Uh, now my wife. Okay, I'm a loyal person. And then when I came back, I, I found that I had lost my 11B, the, the Singapore Armed Forces identity card. And it's big trouble in those days if you lose your identity card. And I just went down Pasilaba Road. I was looking... For it, in those days, I had perfect eyesight. I don't wear glasses. But it cannot be so sharp, right? At night, like about 11.59 p.m., I just saw something. And then I went there, and I found my IC. Can you imagine? Pasilaba Road, so dark in those days. So these are the things that, that happen. And what are these things? 
that happened. And then you think about how would Elisha know about the Syrian troop movements? Okay, intelligence, right? Intelligence is the critical success factor in, in any war. Um, but maybe they had spies like this, you know, in those days, uh, you know, they, but they don't have video cameras now, so even though the pigeons can fly. Or, but you know that technology has advanced beyond uh, pigeons now, so we have drones now. These are, I just saw this in the newspapers last week. These are our drones, Singapore Armed Forces uh, drones uh, bought from Israel. The Heron 1 is operationally ready two weeks ago, and I'm always fascinated by drones. So I read a uh, uh, true story and, uh, uh, about the drone technology. I watch a lot of movies and spy uh, stories about and, and you know that drone operators, they can tell the toilet habits of the enemy. So if, say, you're tracking um, a, a terrorist in Afghanistan or, or somewhere and they cannot hear because it's very high up, the cameras are so good, they actually know the toilet habits of uh, the terrorists that, that they are tracking. And they actually develop some kind of a relationship so that after they launch a missile and they kill these guys, then they got to circle back and they found that his hand is here, his leg is there, and, and sometimes they cannot work out the emotions. So it's, it's intelligence. And, and God provided this kind of intelligence through Elisha to Israel to help Israel. Um, Let's move back in history, move back to World War II and not modern-day high-technology stuff. You know, if only the British had better intelligence, Singapore would not have fallen to the Japanese. This is General Tomoyuki Yamashita. He's nicknamed the Tiger of Malaysia, and he was the general in charge of coming down all the way from Malaysia into, into Singapore. And at the end of the war, he said this. I read verbatim to you. My attack on Singapore was a bluff. A bluff that worked. I had 30,000 men and was outnumbered more than 3 to 1 by the British. I knew if I had to fight long for Singapore, I would be beaten. And that is why surrender had to be at once. I was frightened all the time that the British would discover our numerical weakness and lack of supplies and force me into disastrous street fighting. Now, if only the British knew that, right? But they didn't. The British didn't know that he was down to 18 tanks and that his troops had only 100 rounds of bullets, 100 bullets per person. And starvation was looming for the Japanese soldiers. They were only on two bowls of rice per day. But the British didn't know it. They thought they had this great enemy coming down from Malaysia from an unexpected direction. And so they surrendered. But what about a mountain full of chariots, of fire, and horses. What happens when you see that? The angelic defense forces of Israel. Well, let me tell you the story of John Patton. John Patton was a missionary with his family to the New Hebrides. I don't know anything about the New Hebrides. I had to look it up. And it's those Pacific islands just north of uh, New Zealand. I think Czech Aiming is very familiar with that. Vanuatu is one of those islands. Late one evening, as a missionary in his compound, he was under siege, under attack from the natives who had come to attack the missionary compound. And so they surrounded the missionary compound with torches, with their swords drawn. And what could the patterns do but pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. And all that night, they pray, and then nothing happened. 
The next morning, they woke up, surprised that the siege was over. The natives had simply gone away. And so they continued with their missionary activities. A year later, John Patton led the chief of that tribe to faith in Christ. And when John Patton was visiting this chief, and he said, oh, by the way, you know, remember that night when you came into the village and our missionary compound and you came with swords and, and fire and knives and you were ready to burn us down? Why did you leave that night? And the chief said, who were all those giant men you had around the house? There was an army of men. They frightened us away. They were shining like light in the night. And so we went back to our huts. Believable? I tried to check. You know, who do you, who do you check with now? You check snoops, right? So I checked out this story, and I could not confirm that it was true. But I could not confirm that it was false either. Neither did snoops. But I learned something. I thought that Snoops was very objective and all that, right? But this is what Snoops say in the end. It, Snoops, S-N-O-P-E-S. Huh? Uh, remember this, okay? Next time you've got any of this fake news and all that, go check it out. Reveal their own bias in this matter. So what do they say? It says, it is sadly ironic that so many tales contrive to display a particular belief system as the one true way. Include fabrication tossed in to better carry the message. The Christian commandment about not bearing false witness just isn't getting the mileage it used to. So they don't confirm that it's true. They cannot confirm that it's not true, but they say that we are lying. Wow. So I learned something about Snoops. But you know, stories like this are just, just all over all over. You can find them in books on the internet. There is another one by J.O. Sanders, John Oswald Sanders, the, the famous guy who wrote Spiritual Leadership. And he had a, a short brief time as a missionary in China in 1947. And he said he was traveling on horseback in central China with another missionary called Fred Mitchell. So we can check out the names. And it came to a spot where it was notorious as a robber, a hideout. And so all of them were keeping uh, a sharp lookout. They came across a body lying along the path. Um, was dead, obviously, but not dead for a very long time. And so they obviously knew that uh, uh, brigands were, were, work, uh, were at work. And then they passed through. But a few days later, they received a letter. Uh, he received, uh, J.O. Sanders received a letter from his wife asking whether... Sanders had been in any danger on a specific time and a specific date. And when he checked out, that was the specific time and a specific date that he was passing through this road where they found this dead body. And the wife said, I've been praying for you at that specific time and that specific date. And I prayed and I prayed until I had peace in my heart. Then I stopped praying. It was just at that time. Okay, believable or not? And many, many other stories of, of uh, similar stories. Uh, there is this book, Touch the World Through Prayer, written by Wesley Duell. And he talks about the Mau Mau Rebellion in Kenya in 1960. And there was this missionary uh, couple, Matt and Laura Higgins. They were returning one night to Nairobi, right through this territory where the rebels were, were active and where missionaries were killed, were dismembered. 
and 17 miles outside of Nairobi, their Land Rover stopped. And so this Matt <coughs> tried to repair the vehicle in the dark, but he could not restart the vehicle. And they spent the night in the vehicle. And then they prayed. They said they prayed Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so they just prayed, and they lie down, and they slept. The next morning, they were able to repair the car. A few weeks later, they returned to America on furlough. And, of course, they come before the church, they give briefings of what happened in, uh, while they were doing their missionary work in, in Kenya. And a local pastor uh, contacted them and visited them. And, um, and then they found out the story that that night, um, three rebels crept up to the car wanting to kill the missionaries. But then they saw 16 men surrounding the car and they left in fear. There's 16 men. So Matt and Laura Higgins were wondering, where do we have 16 men? We were alone. And then when they were on furlough, they met another friend who told them that on this day, March the 23rd, we were praying for you. 16 of us were praying for you. Same time, same date. So there's stories like this. Are they believable? I think we need to ask God to open our eyes just as the servant of Elisha couldn't see anything and was afraid when the Syrians surrounded Elisha. We need God to open our eyes to see that these are not coincidences, but to see that these are God's incidents. Right? Otherwise, our faith in coincidence will be higher than our faith in God. So we need our eyes to be open. What about treating the Syrian soldiers with, uh, with mercy? Okay, I come back to Yamashita. And, and he was treated with mercy as a POW, a prisoner of war. He was treated with respect. And I want to read um, what he said, again verbatim, but this was through a translator. So the English is a little bit funny, uh, but I thought very charming. And Let's see. Uh, okay, let me read the whole thing. It's not all up there. As I said in the Manila Supreme Court, he was charged with war crimes that I have done with all my, my all capacity. So I don't ashamed in front of the gods for what I have done when I have died. But if you say to me, you do not have any ability to command the Japanese army, I should say nothing for it because it is my own nature. Now, our war criminal trial going under your kindness and right. I know that all your American and American military affairs always has tolerant and rightful judgment. When I have been investigated in Manila court, I have had a good treatment. Kind, full attitude from your good-natured officers who protected me all the time. I never forget for what they have done for me, even if I had died. I don't blame my executioner. I'll pray the gods bless them. Please send my thankful words to Colonel So and So, Colonel So and So. It's like, he was treated with kindness and respect, even as the enemy, a soldier. But of course, justice had to take its course, and he was executed for his crimes. And he, there were some pretty horrible crimes that the soldiers uh, from Japan did in Malaysia 
and Singapore. But what can I attribute this? I attribute this to the Judean Christian background and worldview of those days in the 1940s. I know it's eroding fast, but there is still a, a certain sense of decency, a certain sense of grace that, that is very, very entrenched in the Judeo-Christian worldview. And that is something we ought to be proud of. So these four stories about Elisha, that God cared for a man who lost a borrowed axe head, that God spied for Israel, that God had mercy on the enemy Assyrian soldiers, and that God ended a siege and a famine. Talk about siege and famine. <coughs> you know, the 1967 Six-Day War in Israel is full of stories of miracles, or people attribute it to, to miracles. And the story of this guy called Israel, um, a, a cab driver, but he was uh, drafted as a soldier to fight in the Six-Day War, and he was part of a paratroop unit. But he says that we didn't have to parachute out of uh, aeroplanes. Uh, they just landed us like spoiled tourists in the airport because the Egyptian regiment, which had been on guard, just fled before the, the Israel's, uh, uh, before we guys got in. And after landing, I was sent with another reserve soldier, they were not full-time soldiers, into, to patrol the area. And then they came across an uh, Egyptian armoured vehicle, filled with soldiers, mounted with machine gun on every side. We only had light weapons and uh, very few bullets. We couldn't stop the armoured vehicle. We couldn't turn back. We just stood there in despair. We waited for them to, to fire the first shot. But the shots never come, never came. And then we cautiously approached the armoured vehicle. We found 18 men inside with guns in their hand with petrified looks on their faces. They looked at us, begged for mercy, and then I said, hands up. And then they marched them away and they surrendered. So he asked the Egyptian soldiers, why? You are 18, we are two, you have armoured vehicles, we have nothing, you have machine guns, we have light, light weapons. And the Egyptian guy says, I don't know. My arms froze, they became paralysed, my whole body was paralysed and I do not know why. And then this Israel Israel, his name, a cab driver, a reservist soldier says, how can one say that God didn't help us? And they have to use God there because they do not want to put the vowel inside, right? Uh, Jewish custom. How can one say that God didn't help us? Another story, Asa Weissman. Asa Weissman was uh, chief of Air Force uh, in those days, later on became president. And he also exclaimed about the, the Six-Day War. He says, this is the finger of God. Okay? Finger of God. How do you explain small little Israel conquering uh, so many countries and defeating uh, all the Arab forces? There was another one, the, the, a correspondent, a journalist from this uh, Haaretz ha newspaper, and he says this, even a non-religious person must admit that this war, this 1967 war, was fought with help from heaven. Okay, even a non-religious person got to see that this, this is too miraculous for words. It's got to be God. And then a rabbi, okay, a rabbi, you can say that he's, he's one-sided, right? He believes in God. And he said this, 
that uh, the fear of God fell upon hundreds, and this is talking about Shechem, okay, the biblical city of Shechem, which is a very big city in those days, and, and it just like fled. The fear of God fell upon hundreds and of thousands of proud Arabs who were filled with hatred and loathing for Israel. Only yesterday, they sworn to fight until the last drop of blood, but they all surrendered. They all surrendered. So let's look at this again. God caring for a man who lost an axe head, a borrowed axe head. And God recovered a borrowed axe head. God recovered an 11B, uh, uh, an identity card. God recovered a phone. God recovered a passport. But what about all the other times when you really lost things? When your phone really fell into the toilet and doesn't work anymore? And what did this man, who so miraculously had his axe head recovered, what did he do? Did he eventually die? Obviously, right? Obviously he died. But I think he died fulfilled. And he died after telling a million times over this story of a gracious God who recovered, who gave him not a coke float, not a 7-up float, but an iron float. He must have told it to all his grandchildren about a God who cared for him. And did Israel, with God as the director of central intelligence, then go on to be a superpower? You would be, right? <clears throat> did John Patton, the missionary, go on to become Mr. Invincible? That no natives will ever harm him? Let me tell you the story of John Patton. He was under siege that night. Yes, he was saved by angels, purportedly, who, who helped him. But did you know that the first missionaries to the New Hebrides, about 48 years before John even stepped a foot there, two guys by the name of John Williams and James Harris from the London, London Missionary Society, the moment they landed in the New Hebrides, within minutes, they were killed by the natives. They could not even do any missionary work. They just went there to die. Minutes upon landing on shore on the 20th of November, 1839. John and his first wife arrived 48 years later on the 5th of November, 1858. Four months later, on the 3rd of March, 1859, his wife died of sickness. Two weeks later after, this, after his wife died, on the 20th of March, 1859, his son died. His baby son, about two months old, died. But today, after all the years of John remarried and he continued working, today, 2017, about 85% of the population of Vanuatu identify themselves as Christians. And the estimate is that about 21% of the population of Vanuatu is evangelical. It's even higher than Singapore. And what God could do with a man who was totally surrendered to him. Yes, he saved him from a particular siege, but he did not save his wife, did not save his son, gave him another wife, and then he continued to work until he was 81 years old. What about the Syrian soldiers that got spared that day? Did they go on to, to great victories? They too died in the end, but not before they have tasted, at least for a brief moment, this Judean God who gave grace to them? What about 
that siege in Samaria where, where mothers had to eat their babies. And then they were miraculously delivered when all the soldiers ran away and they had plenty of food. Were there others like that? Not really. Because later on, Assyria invaded Israel about 130 years later in 722 BC. And then some years later, Babylon invaded, not only invaded, they exiled the whole population from 605 BC and then in 586 BC, totally destroyed Jerusalem. So what do we see? What do we see about these four stories about Elijah? These four stories about God's grace. Yes, we see that we are more than we, that there is God behind us, there are angelic forces behind us. But then it is not really about us. It is about God's grace in this grand vista of history, God's vast sweep of, of history. So what do I see? I believe I see, I see grace. The grace of a God who is intimately involved in our lives to, ex, to the extent of recovering a borrowed exit. Grace to help a nation, Israel, who repeatedly rejected him and who have gone after the idols. Grace to enemy soldiers who are out to annihilate his chosen people. And grace to use lepers, the most despised and sorry of human beings, to save a nation who did not deserve to be saved. I see grace in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, where Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I see grace in 1 John 4, 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I see grace in Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. I see grace in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. And it said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And I see grace in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So I see grace. That there is an unseen eternal but still, there are seen problems and there are unseen solutions. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, but still there is one who is in the world disturbing us. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but still there are weapons formed against us. 
that the battle is not yours, but God's, but still there is a battle. And so across the sweep of history, this almighty God, the one who loves this infinite loving God, but intimately interested in our affairs, in our lives, whether it's a phone or an axe head. You know, in the, the famous book by Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, it says the first line is, it's not about you. So really, it's not about us or our phone or our axe head. It is about God and we've got to look at it in a grand sweep of history from eternity to eternity. What is this God trying to do? Who is this God? What is his character like? Is he interested in us or and is he loving? Is he merciful? Is he forgiving? And we fit into God's agenda. That's when we will find meaning and fulfillment. Last week I was in Suzhou, China, and we were having discussions with uh, a church, and their aim is to bring the gospel westwards. And they are looking particularly at the country of Pakistan. So some, many years ago, they sent some missionaries there without very good preparation, and they all failed. They said they all came back hurt. Then we are discussing with them, say, you guys got a little bit of experience in cross-cultural missions. Uh, you've got to work in Pakistan now for, for some 12, 15 years. Can we collaborate? And then they say, but you know what do we have? We in China, we've got nothing. We've got lots of people. We've got young people who are willing to go. Uh, don't worry about money. We'll raise the money, they said. But what do we have? We know how to suffer. Wow, and I had that like I almost broke down. We know how to suffer. That's our contribution to the missionary enterprise. We know how to suffer. And we want you to help us. I'm sure they have seen many miracles, right? This bunch of Christians, they've seen many miracles and how God delivered from that, them from this and that. But they never forgot the hard times. They know the difference between, listen carefully, being triumphant and being triumphalistic. Being triumphant and, and triumphalism. With God, we are triumphant. Right? We triumph, we have victory, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and all that. But we are not triumphalistic. Triumphalistic is to be smug, is to be proud, thinking that we will never ever suffer. That from now onwards, is the good time. That's that distorted sense of victory in Christ that, is, that leads to the health and wealth gospel. So you look at a Chinese church, why are they strong? They know how to suffer. They know the good, they know the bad, but they know that the bad will not overcome the good because eventually we will be victorious. I come back to John Patton again. Uh, again um, there's a very, very short book written by John Piper. You can find it on the internet, download for free. Very short book. You should go and read it. And when he wanted to become a missionary in those days, one of his church members, I believe he was an elder, or at least an elderly person, who said, you will be eaten by cannibals. Why go there? You will be eaten by cannibals. And I really love John Patton's answer, and I will leave that with you. Let me read that. His answer was this. Mr. Dixon... 
you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and serve dying and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen, uh, risen Redeemer. So there was no fear. There was only hope. But his life was meaningful. It was fulfilled because he was fitting into God's plans. For him, God's plan was to go and evangelize to the tribes in the New Hebrides in Vanuatu. And how do I conclude? All that I've seen, the four stories in Elisha, uh, about Elisha, my own recovery of a lost identity card or a lost phone, the stories of missionaries being helped by angelic forces that sometimes is like unbelievable. All that I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all that I have not seen. And I think with that, we can have hope in our hearts that we walk out of here, we fit into God's plans, we are obedient to Him. We see some, we don't see everything, but we can trust Him for all that we have not seen. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father God, thank you for your encouraging words to us that you care for the minutest details of our lives. I want to pray now that you would help us to journey moving forward in hope, in faith, because we know that we are more than we, that you're right there with us, you're with us. The unseen, the eternal, the eventual victory. But for now, if we have to suffer, we suffer. Knowing that He who is in us, and that is you, loving God, is greater than He who is against us. So Father, help us continue to open up our eyes so that we see the grace of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Okay, let's